0: We come to you and we're Lord saddened at the, the worst mass killing, the worst mass killing we've seen in our country. A very targeted hateful act against innocent people. And Lord we pray that you would cause our hearts to break. To, to weep and to mourn for the loss of life. We, we pray Lord Jesus that the families who are experiencing loss, the fa- friends of those who were taken unjustly, that you would be near to them, you would bind up the brokenhearted. Lord Jesus, we, we shake our head at the evil that exists in this world, and we know that, that one day, someday, you will wipe it all away, and that you are in the business of of bringing redemption and justice and healing and wholeness and Lord, the brokenness that we see, that something like this, it breaks our heart. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus, make all that is sad untrue. Would you right all that is wrong? Would you lift up all of our heads? Lift our eyes to you, the one who heals, the one who is present. Lord, we pray for the LGBT community. Lord Jesus, as they feel the oppression, as they were targeted, Lord as we know now is a target against them lord we we pray for our bro, uh, our uh friends and that we know within Durham uh, brothers and sisters that we know we we pray that uh, you would be near to them as they feel uh, attacked or oppressed we pray lord uh, if if we've never listened uh, to the cries and the moans of uh, this community that you would you would give us ears to hear, to listen, to serve, to give, to love well. Lord, we pray for the, the Muslim community, the neighbors that are around us, those that uh, are fearing that they're going to be put into a box. We pray uh, that we would have ears to listen to them and to engage with them. And Lord, we pray for justice against ISIS. We pray that you would take it away and remove it. It's evil in this world. But Lord, may we love and listen to our Muslim neighbors uh, that are fearing now. And Lord Jesus, what's hard for me is to listen and to love to those who speak with uh, venom and those who are angry uh, and want to kind of put themselves against others. And Lord Jesus, would would your love really melt our hearts to to listen and to love? And even those who speak against, they even speak against us. Would we love well? Would we, uh, like Jesus, give and sacrifice and listen? Lord Jesus, would you bind us together? We thank you uh, that you are uh, redeeming and reconciling and restoring and renewing. Uh, But Lord, we pray that you would come, Lord Jesus, and make it all new. That you would right all that is wrong. Give us hope, Lord Jesus, if we feel hopeless. We we pray that we would see you, and we thank you that this, this is not our home, that we are exiles living in a, in a strange world, a world that we often don't understand, and we pray for you to come so that we can truly be home. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for letting us do that, and uh, I know one of our favorite things is to have the congregational prayer, so kind of removing that for this time uh, was was felt, but we felt like it was very needed for us to pray Uh, specifically about what happened in Orlando. Well, I didn't introduce myself, but my name is Daniel. If I haven't met you, I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad you're with us this morning. And and we're starting our new series for the summer uh, that we've titled Rest for the Soul. We're looking into the Psalms this summer. And I absolutely, unashamedly love the Psalms. I love them. I, I personally read it at least one psalm a day. It's, it is good for my heart. It's good for my soul. And, and one of the big reasons I often find myself reading the psalms is that, uh, is that I often find myself tired. I get physically tired. It's been, it's been a, a busy year in the life of our church, and at times I put more on my plate than I should. I let things creep into my schedule, and so I get physically tired. I get emotionally tired, uh, whether that be because of relationships or hardships. I get spiritually tired uh, as a pastor, I often find myself falling into the trap of spending time in fellowship with God in order to teach or to give away rather than just to be with God. I, I get socially tired, hearing of mass shootings, local shootings, oppression, injustice. I get culturally tired, trying to be a constant learner of the true reality of our culture and context here in Durham. So I, just, I get tired, and the Psalms are a refuge for the weary traveler. They are a place of comfort for the haggard soul. They give words when we might feel like we have no words. They turn our hearts and our minds back to the true God. So I love the Psalms. I'm glad we're in them this summer together. Bono, who's the lead singer of the band U2, and Eugene Peterson, who's a pastor-theologian, were part of a video uh, that was put out in April of this past year talking about their relationship and why they both love the Psalms. You should Google it and watch it. It's a great video, 25 minutes long. Bono, growing up in the church of Ireland, said he's always loved the Psalms because they're honest. The Psalms are explosive with joy. There's deep sorrow and confusion. And then he asked, why isn't the church more like that? And I and Timothy, as we've always talked about Christ Central Church, have always wanted us to be a church that is honest able to explode with joy, a church that's able to have deep sorrow, and a church that allows asking questions and confusion. So this summer, our prayer is that God would allow us to enter into the Psalms, be honest about being tired, honest about our emotion, honest about our confusion, and then behold a God who meets us there, a God who gives rest for our souls. And as we meet God, May He cause praise to rise and prayers to be uttered and peace to be experienced. And So this morning, we're going to start off by looking at Psalm 63, uh, which is the intro to the series for us. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we do every Sunday, as we read God's Word together. This is Psalm 63, the Psalm of David as he was in the wilderness. This is God's Word to us. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Isaiah 40 tells us, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray together. God, I ask that you would come and speak to us. We need to hear from you, the living God, the one who is, who is alive, the one who still speaks. This, the word we just read is not dead, it's not old, it's fresh, it's new. Your spirit speaks to our hearts and to our spirits this morning, and we pray that you give us ears to hear, hearts to truly receive, that our lives would be different as a result of encountering and experiencing you this morning. May the words of my mouth, the one who gets to preach, be pleasing. Meditations of my heart be pleasing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, our, our oldest son, Henry, happens to be his birthday today, turns two. But Henry loves to sing and dance. Loves to sing and dance. I walked in Tuesday night from working all day, and Henry started to do the running man dance. Uh, which is this, if you don't know, the running man dance is this new dance that's gone viral. These two basketball players out of Maryland kind of put it on the map. Uh, Rachel taught him the running man dance. And so Tuesday night I come in, he starts doing the running man dance. Uh, the pure joy on his face when dancing, it's, it's awesome. I love it. And I also catch him singing by himself all the time. He'll sing children nursery rhymes that, that Rachel or, or I will sing to him. He sings uh, songs off of a CD that we have in Rachel's car. It's a song of the Westminster Catechism for Children. And the first song is Who Made God? Uh, and the answer is Nobody Made God, Nobody Did. And so Henry like, Who made God? Nobody did. Nobody, like, he just sings it. And, and the big smile on his face, but the big smile on my face as he sings these songs is one of great delight. I love, I love it when he does this. And the songs they just kind of get into his mind, they get into his heart, and they just come out naturally. Well, the Psalms were the Israelites' hymn book. They were songs sung by the people of God. The Psalms have always been the Christian church's hymn book. And our prayer this summer is that God might get them and work them into our minds and our hearts so that they just naturally flow from us. Now, I picked Psalm 63 to be the intro to this series for two reasons. One I just love Psalm 63. It's one of my favorite Psalms. Second reason is, is that I've been asking a question recently uh, in the light of our church, a big question. And this is this question, why does Christ Central Church exist? Why do we exist? Now there can be many answers to that question. And in the fall, we're actually going to preach a series on why we exist, but uh, there's many answers. We exist to build community. We exist to love our neighbor. We exist to to seek justice and the renewal of the city. We exist to reach the world. But there's an ultimate reason. There's a chief reason. We exist to worship God. Our ultimate aim is not one another. It's not our neighbor. It's not this city. It's not the world. Our ultimate aim in all things must be the honor, glory, and worship of God. There's an old Gary Larson Farside cartoon. If you ever saw the Farside cartoon, uh, where uh, this guy is sitting on the clouds with his wings and a harp. And right, he's in eternity, he's worshiping. And he thinks to himself, I wish I'd brought a magazine. I <laughs> wish I'd brought a magazine. So, Worshiping God and worshiping God for all eternity can sound really boring to many of us. Right, on a cloud with our harp, Wish we would have brought a magazine just so the time would pass a little faster. Why does worshiping God for all of eternity and worshiping God now fail to move us? What has David, the author of Psalm 63, discovered that's moved him to worship like he is? And how can we change into this kind of person? I'm going to look at three things this morning. The first thing into changing into this kind of person that we see in Psalm 63 is that we must understand what is the center of worship. Let' understand the center of worship. The subscript of the psalm says this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And we know that David was king when he wrote this psalm because David refers to himself as king in verse 11. Which means the context for this psalm was written by David as he was king in Israel, fleeing from Absalom, his very own son. See, we see that in 2 Samuel 15. Now today's Father's Day, and we like to celebrate relationships with our fathers on Father's Day. David was not having good days as a father. <laughs> he was not having good times with his son. His own son attempted a coup to overthrow David as king. So he's, he's feeling conspired against, pursued in order to be murdered, all to remove the kingdom from his rule so that his son Absalom can become king. As a result, David's in the wilderness. He's in the dry and weary desert. David's confused, feeling betrayed, hurt, sad, alone. And it's in this context that David pens this beautiful song. In verse 1, O oh God, You're my God. Oh God, he's saying, oh God, the faithful God, the covenant God, the God of redemption, who led Israel out of Egypt through their wilderness, the God who established a kingdom, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This God is my God. These aren't words of a seeker trying to find God for the first time. As Derek Kidner writes, this is not the groping of a stranger. Feeling his way towards God, but the eagerness of a friend, almost a lover, to be in touch with the one he holds dear. When all is stripped away, when David is in a dry and weary land alone, he does not hang his head. He is not crushed. Instead, he turns to his God and he offers praise. The central driving force of David's life is God. What's the central driving force of your life. How do you even know what that might be? Well, the obvious answer is it's what you worship. What you worship drives your life. Well, how do you know what you worship? Let me give you two ways to evaluate. What crushes you when it's removed from your life? What crushes you when you don't have it? What causes you to hang your head or to depress your heart? Might be what you worship. Here's a second way to evaluate. David says, I remember you in the watches of the night. What do you think about when you're all alone? What does your heart and your mind daydream about? What makes you anxiously stay awake in bed as it races through your mind? It can be the approval of others, fearing rejection, wanting to be light. This is one that I find myself worshiping often. Put on top of that, though, it could be the approval of your parents still driving you, no matter how old you might be. Maybe it's your family and how your family appears. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your dating relationship or your marriage. It could be sex, power, money, comfort. I could keep listing what it might be. But your view of yourself and view of the world is controlled by what you worship. I'll even say that your identity comes from what you worship. So, how do you know what you are worshiping? You have to examine what crushes you and what you're looking to. And I'll tell you this, that only God, only God can give you the identity that you're looking for and only God can stand up under any pressure or any stress that you might might face. Everything else will fail you. Another way, let me give you one other way to to see if God is the central driving force of your life or if something else might be. What role does praise play in your life? Does your your heart overflow with praise or complaint? Do you praise with joy or do you speak with bitterness? C.S. Lewis wrote this, praise is inner health made audible. I love that. Praise is inner health made audible. Audible. A heart that's set on God, finding their identity in God, their worth and value in God is healthy and thus shouts praise. The opposite of that is true as well. If you're unable to praise God or you offer little praise to God, something else has your heart. Something else is what you're finding your identity in. Here's the second thing if we want to become like David in Psalm 63 is that we must ask for an appetite for God or an experience of God. Listen to the way David describes this relationship with God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. David describes a very intense, whole body aching longing for God. There's a story on TV about a a person dying from an infection that caused kidney failure. And they placed the patient on dialysis. And during that time, none of their family was allowed to come and give them water. Water became all that the thirsty person and patient would talk about. No one could bring a container of liquid into the room because the the patient just wanted to take it and drink it. They were so thirsty. The only relief was a moist sponge placed in their mouth, and they kept biting pieces of it off because they were so thirsty. They ached so deep with thirst. This is how David prays. This is how David longs. I want you, my God. I am desperate for you. I love this quote by John Eldridge. Christianity has nothing to say to the person who's completely happy with the way things are. Its message is for those who hunger and thirst, for those who desire life as it was meant to be. Our relationship with God should be expressed by great desire whole body aching. And thirst and desire, it's how the Bible talks about the believer and the non-believer. I'm sure if you've read John chapter 4, Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. Jesus describes her pursuit of love, sex, of being with five different men as a thirst. She is longing for something more, and Jesus tells her that this thirst can only be quenched by him. Longing, desire. Now, I'm sorry to say that that many people in our stream of faith today, Reformed Evangelicalism, would describe their relationship with God primarily with cognition, intellectual assent, not worship. Many of us are scared to talk about desire, longing, emotion. Right? We can encounter thirsty people those on the outside of the church and those on the inside of the church. And and we like to give thirsty people pretzels or some salt water to drink by suggesting here's another book, right? Here's one more book, as if gaining information will quench the thirst. Information and knowledge, great. We love it. But what we need is an experience of God. Why, Why do you think people travel from all over and when they come to this area, they go to Duke's Chapel? Or if you're in Europe, Believer or unbeliever, you stop and you look at the beautiful cathedrals. Why do I love that we get to worship here and not in a school or a movie theater? There is something about these places that usher us into an experience of God, not just cognition and intellectual ascent. Experiencing God in the Christian life, it's not low-fat business. It's not skim milk. It's, it's like deep, thick, heavy cream. It's not salads, but it's prime rib and gravy. Right, God and God alone and experiencing Him satisfies our souls. Experiencing God and worshiping is what allows David to say that your steadfast love is better than life. It's what, it, what caused Paul to be able to say in Acts 20, verse 24, but I do not count my life of any value, not as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, because they are experiencing God. The last thing that we need if we want to be like Psalm 63 is that we must actively cultivate worship. So I want to give you a few ways to cultivate this experience of God and worship of God. The first, it's not anything you can really do, but more something you can be aware of. And that's desert experiences. Desert experience. David was in a desert, a dry and weary land, though there was no desert in David's heart. Eugene Peterson translates verse 1, God, you're my God. I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such hunger and thirst for God, traveling across dry and weary desert. Worked up hunger, traveling through the desert. Catch that? The desert times are the times that God wells up hunger and thirst. When things are stripped away, when we feel alone, when we feel rejected, these are the times when God creates hunger and thirst. The wilderness, it's actually a gift from God. See, it's when the bed of life is the softest that we're tempted to rise late and be lazy in our pursuit of God. And when comfort is gone and the bed of life is hard, we tend to rise early and we tend to seek the Lord. So praise God for the wilderness. Praise God for that He's gracious enough to bring you into the desert places so that your heart can turn and experience and be satisfied by Him. Here's the second thing you can do to cultivate. Meditate on God's Word. Look at verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, spend time in prayer, talking to God, sharing your secrets with God, and then let God share His secrets of His grace and of His gospel with you. And the way He does that is by His Word let him remind you who he is meditate on God's word Now, the word meditate here it's the same word that the prophet Isaiah uses to refer to a lion growling over its prey See, meditate's not just reading quickly over God's word to say you did it it's a lion growling over its prey or i like to think about my old dog tucker who if you gave him a bone he'd take it in the backyard he'd gnaw on it for hours it was completely gone. That's meditating on God's word. You're gnawing on it. You're devouring it. The the video of Bono and Eugene Peterson that I mentioned earlier, it it also showed the development of their relationship. And Bono was the one who contacted Peterson to thank him for his translation of the Bible, which is the message. And and Peterson, he didn't know who Bono was. (laughs) Bono kept trying to pursue him and to build a relationship with him. And the video had a clip of, of Eugene Peterson talking with a host uh, at, a, at a large conference. And they're on stage in front of hundreds of people. This was years ago. And, and the host says, I heard Bono invited you to dinner and you told him no. And, and Peterson said, yeah, I was finishing up you know, the translation of, of the Bible. I had a timeline to meet. I just had, I had to do it. And the host said, you might be the only person in the world who would say no to having dinner with Bono. And Peterson, you could tell he was a little shocked by that. And he he shocked and he kind of smirked and he said, Yes, Dean, but it was Isaiah. I was spending time with the prophet Isaiah. That's a man in love with the God of the Bible. That's a man who, like my dog, was gnawing on the Word of God for hours, loving being with God. So, will you rise early? And go to bed at night meditating and feasting on God's word. Without it, you will not worship. Let me give you one other way to cultivate worship. Obedience. Obedience. Now maybe you're going, where does the psalm say that? I don't see that in, in Psalm 63. Look at verse 8. It says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings. That's the same word as cleave in Genesis chapter 2 as a a woman shall cleave to her husband. It's the language of devotion. Here it means loyalty towards God. My soul clings. I am loyal. I am obedient to you, O God. Now, this is intuitive if you think about it. Because sin is turning away from God. It's turning away from His ways. It's disloyalty, which inherently breaks down fellowship and intimacy. Sin builds walls and barriers between us and God. And sin over a long period of time leads to a callous heart, which is why sin can rob a heart of tasting and seeing and aching for God. But if we can, in the midst of our sin, see a God, verse 8, whose right hand upholds us, a God who is faithful to his covenant, a God who does not turn away from us, a God who longs for us to turn back unto him from our sin and welcome us back, then it will melt our hearts, which is the beginning of repentance. And repentant hearts are worshiping hearts. Broken and contrite hearts are hearts prepared to be filled with the love, grace, and joy of knowing Christ. Now remember, the context of the psalm was a really bad Father's Day. (laughs) A son planting a coup d'etat on his own father, a disloyal son who wanted to be crowned king. Yet David can write this. And I think verse 3 really is the key in understanding how David can pen this beautiful psalm. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. God the Father's love is better than life. I'm giving you a lot of meanings for the words here in, in original languages. Don't always do that. But the word here for love is hesed, which means, God, it means God's loyal, covenantal love. God's covenant love. So David is thinking about his, his father's covenant love as he writes this, in the desert, all alone. And how has God been faithful to him? And I imagine David remembering Genesis chapter 15, when God first initiated covenant with his people, with Abraham, to bless Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants. God passes through dead animals that have been torn in two. God passes through. And he's saying, I promise to do what I say I will do. And if I don't, let me be torn in two. Let me be cut that is Hesed love. And That's what David is remembering as he's trusting his father's love toward him in the desert and it's giving him security and it's giving him a heart of worship amidst the wilderness. Brothers and sisters, how much more do we see and know the father's love towards us? David was not driven to the cross. There was another king driven to the wilderness for our sins. There was another king mocked and rejected and ridiculed who laid down his life on the cross. Our father sent his only son, our king, to die for us, to make us sons and daughters, to reconcile us to himself through the cross and to bring us into his family. The cross of the Lord Jesus is Hesed love. And the cross and understanding the father's love towards us is what melts our hearts. And joyful praise flows from there. It's here that we experience the feast for our souls. Have you ever, have you seen the latest Fitbit commercial? Have you seen the latest Fitbit commercial, Love Fit? Uh, It's about Team Hoyt. Uh, So Fitbit's been putting out all these new commercials. The the, the latest one is Love Fit. And it's about Team Hoyt, which I learned about 10 years ago. Have you you heard of their story? Uh, Well, let me tell you about it. So uh, the story is of a a father and a son. Uh, The son, Rick, was born with cerebral palsy in a wheelchair his whole life. and At the age of 11, fitted with a computer that enabled him to speak to others and communicate. Well, Rick asked his dad, Dick, in 1977 if they could run a race together. And since 1977, they've been running races and marathons and Ironmans. Every time the father, Dick, is pushing Rick in a wheelchair or pulling him in a boat. You should check out their full story. But the Fitbit commercial, I think in honor of Father's Day, released this commercial talking about the love between this father and their son. And in the commercial, Rick says, the son says this, Dad has never said no since the first time I asked him to push me in a race. The father then says uh, that he he's always says yes to his son because Rick says when they're running, his disability disappears. And he continues to say, "I'm his." the dad says, I'm his motor, his arms, and his legs. And then Rick ends by saying, like I've said, my dad is my hands and feet, the wind beneath my wings. The love of his father sets Rick free. The security that he finds in his relationship with his father gives wind to his wings, lets him soar, sets him free, gives him joy, even in the midst of cerebral palsy. King David in the wilderness says, your love, me being your son, O God, satisfies my soul, sets me free, gives me joy. So much so that David can, at the end of this psalm, say in verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. Now follow me here. David, speaking about himself, calls himself the king. He's not much feeling like a king or acting like a king out in the desert when his son's trying to take the kingdom from him. Derek Kidner finds this amazing and writes that David, writing from being driven from the kingdom, from the hands of his own son Absalom, is able, through the Hesed love of his father, to reassert his calling, his security, his identity. David doesn't fall to pieces, is not destroyed, but is actually reassured, replanted in his calling because of his father's love. find that amazing because how easy it is in my own life to fall to pieces at one negative comment or one thought of someone not liking me yet david is reassured and confident in his calling should we not look to the cross and see the father's love in the face of the lord jesus the king who died for us to redeem and reconcile us no matter our circumstance no matter our wilderness experience, and be assured this morning that in His love, we are royal sons and daughters. This is our calling. We're part of His family. Trusting and believing and cherishing the Father's love and our calling based on His love is what will give us hearts of worship. With Him at the center, hearts feasting, fellowshipping with Him, hearts longing to cultivate more adoration and praise. It's when we're here that we'll be like my son Henry. Songs will naturally bleed out of us. We'll be like Colossians chapter 1, a people whose psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs just flow out of us, and we'll dance with joy. This is why we exist, Christ Central Church, to make much of Jesus, and to glory in our Father. Everything else flows from this. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would not just know it, not just assent to it in our minds this morning, but, but taste and see to have our appetites filled with knowing you, experiencing you. Thank you, Jesus, that through you we can be ushered into the family of God, sons and daughters, with a father that never leaves nor forsakes us, father who's faithful and loyal. Even when we're not loyal, he never forsakes his his family. Thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.